I'm very excited today. Amen. Today is uh, August 6th, 2017. And before I even give you the title, um, Pastor, I don't, I don't know if Pastor knows about this part yet. Um, I have the privilege of, of overseeing the church finances. Uh, it's part of my call here to be at, at this church. And I want to tell you guys that we've gotten the largest offering, single offering, we've ever received as a church. Okay? I mean, it's, it's by far the largest. I mean, what we're talking is, I mean, there's a lot of digits in it, Pastor. Um, um, we're not going to count those two, but it's okay. I mean, this is what we're used to having in our account. I mean, offerings are incredible things. People sacrificing, people giving, it, I mean, it's just an incredible, it's an incredible thought that people in this church, that people who hear about this ministry are willing to give something because as, I mean, the idea of having an offering to be able to, to, to be able to, to do what God has for us to do across the world, it's an incredible thing. Um, I mean, I mean, I mean, it's just, it's just incredible. It, it, it's, it's just incredible. What, what I want to say is, it, I mean, Pastor Eric doesn't even know about this. Uh, I just want to tell you, Pastor, for you and the turkey team, no more flying coach for you guys. Oh, no. <laughs> no more flying coach. As a matter of fact, not, let's, let's even skip first class. Let, let's, just, let's just rent you a plane so that you don't have to be in a tube full of demons as you travel across the world. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you know, the, this, the pastors, you see us driving around in busted old vehicles. All I got to say is one word to that now. Fleet. You know, I mean, I mean we, this is incredible. But what the Lord... Um, yeah, so uh, you, guys, you guys are too smart for me to pull this off. I'm, a terrible, uh, I'm terrible at this anyway. The title of today's sermon... As we are on August the 6th of 2017, is Million Dollar Baby. Million Dollar Baby. Would you turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1? Some of y'all got excited, didn't you? <laughs> You're like, come on, man. I know he just said no Starbucks, but... I'm just saying, we're going to go get the Starbucks anyway. So we might, uh-huh. Okay, Million Dollar Baby, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Come on now. Come on, let's, let, it's already a good day. What happened in our worship time, I feel like we can close down shop, pray over everybody, amen, let you go. Because that was wonderful. And I know by the Spirit of God that God gave me a word for us today. He gave it to us. It's for us today. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and let's start in verse 2. Are you there? there. It says this, We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, Amen. your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you. Everybody say, He chose me. He chose me. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, 
Ever had, this, ever had somebody come to you just with words? Yes. Ever had somebody come with really, really slick kind of words? I mean, you're like, oh, man, whoa, this is incredible words, right? Our gospel didn't come to you simply with words, but also with power. Everybody say power. Power. With the Holy Spirit. Everybody say Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. And deep conviction. Everybody say deep conviction. Deep conviction. Come on, say deep conviction again. Deep, deep conviction. conviction. Yeah, it's hard to say deep conviction without having some seriousness to it, right? Deep conviction. What we started to talk to you on Wednesday night as a recap of Aguas Calientes was we went to Aguas Calientes and we saw miracles. People get up out of a hospital and walk out and tell us of their testimony of healing. We would go into the neighborhood and everyone, listen to my words, this is not hyperbole, everyone that came to the service was touched by God. Everyone was either saved or filled with the Spirit or touched or prophesied over. It was an incredible time that we had. And what we talked about on Wednesday night was this is not unique for this group of people. Because it is our way of life. We did nothing different there than what we do here. The type of preaching that I got there was not any different than what you have here. <laughs> Pastor closed the service and reminded us that probably the only thing different was everyone who was there had sacrificed for it and wanted to be there. <laughs> I have been overwhelmed with the thought of this way of life that God has given us. I can't get away from it. I can't escape it. What I want to talk to you today is about these deep convictions. Do you know what makes us who we are? Our deep convictions that the Lord has given us. It's true. These are things, and I'm going, to, I'm going to share some personally that the Lord has, has had a part of this church since its beginning. Since before it was founded as a church. Deep convictions that were being instilled. I'm going to share with you, uh, my family has been here three years now. It feels sometimes like it's been 23 years and other times it feels like it's been about three weeks that we've been here. But what the Lord is doing in us is He's saying, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. Do you have deep convictions today? They should be growing inside of you. You know what a problem with most, with most people, and I'll say most of us in here, the truth is, is our convictions aren't nearly as deep as we think. Would you live differently if, <laughs> if this was real on the board? It's not real. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> Would you live differently if somebody gave you a million dollars right now? If we put the million dollar test on you. Here it is. You got all you want. In one check, here it is, we're going to deposit into your account right now. Do you start living differently immediately? Or do you have a lifestyle that is worthy of going, praise God, I don't even know what to do with all that, Lord. Money usually corrupts people. I'm just going to put it off to the side for a little while, and I'm going to keep living exactly the way I was before. If that is more than just a statement where you can nod your head and agree with me, but in actuality, that's when you know that something is going on in your heart. That's when you know you're starting to have deep convictions. When this church gets an offering, you may never know about it. The silliness of me announcing an offering like that. The silliness of me selling out God's integrity and what He's doing here. I don't care how many zeros you put. Amen. Put another three zeros. Put another ten zeros on there. It doesn't matter to me. Because why would we want to sell out what God has given us as a church? Can you be bought? Does the enemy just can throw some money at you and you get offset from your deep, deep convictions? 
Better not be. But let's be real. I'm a little nervous that some of you answered so quickly. I'm, I'm a little nervous about that. Here at this church, we are trying to give you to a way of life. We are not trying to do a program for you. We're not trying to get you through a system. If you follow this order of classes, if you come in with our three-week beginner class, if you come to our growth track, please come to our growth track. In three weeks, you too can be exactly like us. For real? If you've been to other churches, you know that I am uh, intentionally using the lingo of other churches. Churches I've come from had three weeks of growth track. That meant it was a 45 to a one hour cl- 45 minute to a one hour class. Over three weeks, we're going to teach you our vision. One week, one hour. And then the next week, oh, and that includes meal, by the way, or food or some type of gathering in the one hour. There's also eating. Second one, man, we want you to know your spiritual giftings. And the third one, we're going to teach you how to serve us. My friends, this... Am I lying? You may not know it. You may not have been there. I'm just I'm sharing with you. These are actual things. We are not trying to get you through a program. We are not trying to get you through some type of system. We are not trying to put the ark of God on a cart so that it can be carted around in front of everyone and you can see what it is. We're trying to say, would you join us in our way of life? Amen. Yes. Pastor, you just don't see how great we are. Oh, amen. Maybe you're right. Maybe if we did life together more, we would see this Paul-like anointing upon you. Or maybe God has you here to help you develop to who you need to be. You don't think that Pastor Eric could go preach anywhere he wants? You don't think he can have a church of any size he decided to have? Seriously. Maybe you've never thought about it. I think about it. You know what he's chosen to do is do exactly what God tells him to do. He wants to be, he's pushing away from the crowds. You know why? Because that's what he saw Jesus do. (laughs) He wants to do it exactly. What we're trying to do as your leaders is show you these things. We want you to see what it's like to live a life of deep convictions. Let's do some rapid fire scriptures together. Y'all ready? We're going to rapid fire this. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 10. I mean chapter 3 and verse 10. (laughs) 2 Timothy 10 would be difficult to find. Because it doesn't exist. 2 Timothy 3, 10. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life. Say way of life. life. You know about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance, my persecutions. Everybody say persecutions. Persecutions. I mean, God forbid that you have any persecutions or suffering. These are the signs where you can see what goes on in someone's life when they are under persecution, when they are under suffering, whether just or unjust. You get to see what it does in someone's life. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? The persecutions I endured. Everybody say endure. Endure. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, say it with me, will be persecuted. If your measure of a godly life right now is how much you've been persecuted lately, how you doing? How you doing? You running away from persecution? You running away from the very thing that proves that you have a godly life? Are you running towards comfort? 
Are you running towards? If I said, not only did the church beat it, but I'm going to give you a million dollars. Right now, how many of you are already thinking a vacation that you'd want to have? That, that car that you'd want to buy? That, that extra, you know, tuck away the kids' uh, college fund? How many of you have already started spending a million dollars? See, yeah, you dirty people, because you know, you know some of you are. Like, I'm, I'm not raising my hand on that one, yeah. Pastor. You're going you're to light me up. These are things that are built inside of us that we have to expel because everyone who wants to live a godly life will be persecuted. While evil men and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. God, I don't even have time to do that one right now. People who are deceived... They're deceiving other people, and they themselves are being deceived. You know why some people are so convincing with their wrong attitudes and their wrong thoughts? It's because they're completely deceived, and they completely believe it. Are they lying? Not as far as they know. That's what's so convincing about it. They are deceived, and they are now deceiving others. You know what allows you not to be deceived? When you have a way of life that's so ingrained in you, it settles you. You're like... I don't even know about those. Those are smooth words, but they don't fit the pattern of someone's lifestyle. We've got to quit being enamored with those who can speak. We've got to be, quit being enamored with uh, talent, with ability, with, with charisma. Shame on us for being persuaded by these things. I'm not up here today to do any of those things. I, I meant it when I said, man, worship was so good. You know what I'm doing? I just want to pastor you right now. I just want to help teach you how to live. I want to show you how that you are supposed to live in your own life because you know what that does? That brings glory to our Father. Amen. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. Verse 7. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate. Everyone say imitate. imitate. Mimic their faith. Do what you see in them. Make this a lifestyle. Don't just come. Pastor, you know, why does it take so long? Why do they get to go before me? I don't understand. They got here after me and now they're going somewhere before me. Maybe they got the way of life. Maybe you've been here for a long time and you're still just trying to do this as a program. You're still trying to go, I don't understand why this cart isn't working out. Because it's not about the cart. It's about the men and women who carry the presence. We don't need a better plan. We need a better man. What God is doing in us is about us being raised up and following a way of life. Turn to Philippians chapter 3. Look at verse 17. So in Hebrews 13, you see that you're supposed to follow, consider your leaders. In Philippians 3, verse 17, it says, join with others. Amen. We've got the collective here. Join with others in following my example. Brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern. Everybody say pattern. pattern. That we gave you. Live according to the pattern, the way of life. It doesn't say live according to the system. Live according to the, to the seven easy steps. What I can't do for you today is get up to the board and say, I will now demonstrate for you how to live the way of life that we live here. I will now give you the seven steps necessary for the way of life. 
Are you with me? Do you realize how, how dichotomous that is? Do you realize how ridiculous that is? I'm going to now put into a program form the way of life. No. No. If you look at us and you think that we're inconsistent, we're trying to get you to a way of life, not run you through a program. Amen. Amen. We are not a Bible college here. What we are is a church that trains up ministers. Yes. That yeah. trains up pillars in the house of God. Some of you are going to go. And some of you are going to grow right here. God has this. We're going to have a healthy church. You know why? Because we're not trying to... I can look at Caleb and go, You know what, Caleb? I can now prescribe for you the next six months of your life. And when you get done... I'm actually reminded of a C.T. Studd quote at the moment that talks about how our Bible colleges put out little sausages of varying lengths tied at both ends. Little confectionaries. Little sweeties. Little bonbons of Christians. Little lollipops of Christianity that come out on their little factory model. Caleb, you too get to be a bonbon for Christ. If Caleb accepts that, then he should be slapped. Caleb, you too in 90 days can be what we are. Well, then you're not very much if that's all that it takes. If three Sundays and three hours can convince you of what the church is supposed to be, you're not much of a church. Oh. Yeah, it's, it's easy when we're talking about the other churches, though, isn't it? It's so much harder when we're talking about our lives. How fast are you trying to get through the things of the Lord? Pastor, I've done discipleship helps. Check. Pastor, I, I'm, I'm waiting on you to give me the next Acts class. Check. <laughs> How about you be what you're supposed to be? How about those things that you keep overlooking and saying that we're somehow broken because you're not... We follow... Pastor, we followed the plan. See? I wrote it out. I even came over to your house three times. Well, fantastic. Thank you for gracing us with your presence. And you know we love having you there. Do you know what I'm trying to get at here? We are are system kind of people. (laughs) Do you realize that my job was to create systems in education and execute the system? Do you know that the guy who was system-minded is having to go, oh, this is so awesome because it's not a system. It's a living organism. It is a church body. This is discipleship. When I am ready, I will trust that my Father will put me wherever I need to be. As long as I keep straining at the oars, I will keep straining at the oars. I will keep in here for discipleship. I will not let up. I will not back up. I will not shut up. I will keep doing this. You know why? Because I trust that when Jesus gets in the boat, I'll end up being where I need to be. Quit worrying about your time schedule. Let's talk time schedules for a second. How about the Apostle Paul? Acts 9, Acts 11, Galatians 1. You can read those and you can start building a framework for timing that at the least 17 years, maybe more. Everybody say 17 years. 17 years. That's for the Apostle Paul, folks. <laughs> but we, we're, but me, Pastor, I can get ready. Three weeks. Three weeks, that's all it takes. <laughs> a three-hour class. Will FDA stamp your forehead? Boom! Yeah, you're going to tear it up for the kingdom. I'm just telling you. You're going to do a great job for the kingdom. Hey, I, I'm, I'm pastoring you today. Amen. I'm Thank pastoring you. you today. The reason I can talk about the timing is because I had to fight with thoughts of, Lord, 
I am here where I am in my life, and I feel like I'm wasting time. I feel like you've somehow been unhappy with me. I feel like all these things, and Lord, I don't understand. I'm whatever age I am, and I don't understand why I'm not there. Shut up, says your pastor with love. Shut up. Because when, th- when you go down that path too long, you know what you're really doing? But you're just, you just don't have the courage to actually say it. God, you are unfair to me. God, I know that for someone else, I'll say that all of God's ways are right. Everything he does is just and true. But for me, he's dropped the ball with me because he is somehow unfair. Shut up. Don't be a million-dollar baby. Don't be waiting for your ship to come in to hit the jackpot of what God's going to do. Be who you're supposed to be. Those are selfish desires masquerading as godly ambition. Not even the same thing. Stop calling your selfish ambition. Um, Joy, just for the fun of it, can you all put up uh, James 3, 16? Everyone to the screen. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. We like saying that in the, in, the, in the big cosmos, don't we? Don't we like aiming that at all the unbelievers? Yeah, you dirty unbeliever. Selfish ambition, terrible. Disorder, every evil practice, boo. What about your life? What about your own selfish ambition? What about your own envy? Oh, wait. Envy and selfish ambition? I want what I want, or I want what you have? If you can't celebrate a turkey team that's getting to go because you feel somehow left out, maybe you should consider what the Word of God says to you. If you're, if you're upset that the, the Brassos are going to be sent out soon, if you're upset about that because you feel like somehow God is unjust to you, you either have envy or selfish ambition working here, and that's not good. More Scripture. Back to Scripture. Turn to Second Chronicles chapter 14, please. Second Chronicles. My friends, what we are teaching... Yeah, I'm going to let you get there. Second Chronicles 14, because I want you to hear this and not be distracted. For those of us who are ADD and need singular focuses before us. My friends, discipleship, a way of life, is not a means to an end. You can't work the system here and get the outcome that you want. You can't decide that you're going to do what you want to do and have us as pastors yield to your desires, your timing. You know why? Because we have dedicated our lives to saying there is one right way to do this kingdom thing. Oh, it'll 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 have the expressions of each of us. It'll have it'll have the flair of Pastor Matt propelling people. It'll it'll have it'll have an equipping factor. It'll have a a challenging and a a realizing the the reality of the kingdom factor. It'll have some different uh, beauty and facets in it. But you know what it's not going to have? It's not going to have a different way to accomplish the Word. This is the way of life that God has given us. It is not a means to an end. If you are looking at your Christian walk, if you're looking at your Bible study, if you're looking at your prayer time, if you're looking at joining prison ministry, that it may be a means for an end for you, a means to an end for you, then you've missed the entire concept of the way of life that God has given us here. 
Let's look at 2 Chronicles chapter 14. This is a king named Asa. A king of Judah. Let's look at 2 uh, Chronicles chapter 14 verse 8. Are you there with me? Yes. Now don't get, all, don't get all shy now. Stay with me. Asa, <laughs> Asa had an army of 300,000 men from Judah. Equipped with large shields and, and with spears. And 280,000 from Benjamin. Armed with small shields and with bows. All these were brave fighting men. By the way, this is another one of those passages where uh, critics, Bible scholars have a tough time because this is 580,000 people for an army. Uh, they, they, they think that that's not even possible to have an army this big in these days. Don't even think it's possible. I'm okay with reading it exactly as it does. Nine. Zerah the Cushite marched out against them with a vast army. If you have a note in your Bible, that vast army says something like thousands upon thousands. <laughs> thousands upon thousands. An army of a, a million people or more. Thousands upon thousands. Asa went out to meet him and they took up battle positions in the valley of Zarethath near Merishah. Then Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there is no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty. Man, you should circle that. You should underline that verse in the Bible. Yeah. Man, there is no one. If we've got this giant army and there's still a bigger army before us, whoo, Lord, there's no one like you who can help us weaklings. He's not bragging on how many he had. He's taking solace in his weakness, not in his strength. Help us, O Lord. He goes on, they defeat this vast army, and they crush them. I mean, it is a devastating victory. Look in chapter 15, verse 2. Uh, the spirit, or verse 1, the Spirit of God came on Azariah, son of Oded. He went out to meet Asa and said to him, Listen to me, Asa and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you when you are with him. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Pastor, you, you just don't chase us enough. I mean, I mean, you haven't called us enough. Uh, Pastor Matt, I mean, I was sick for like 12 and a half minutes and, and you didn't call me. I, I, I feel hurt. I'm mortally... Now, now I'm sick and I'm wounded. Hmm. The Lord is with you when you're with Him. You know what we actually tell people here in this church? This is the craziest thing. We say some crazy stuff. Hey, you know what we're going to do? We're going to be as committed to you as you are to us. If you're here, we've got what we've got is so precious. We want you to be involved. We want you to be here. We open up our homes. We open up our lives. We will do anything it takes. But you got to come and draw. You got to come draw into us. You know why? Because they're so. It's so busy with people coming to us. The truth is, is we can never do anything else. We could, we could sustain ourselves just on giving people who are hungry the Word of God. We want you in the innermost parts of who we are as, as, a, as a church. You know what we're not going to do? Is get to your envy and your selfish ambition. Pastor, how can you say that? How, how can you say that to people? We're never, against, we're never about throwing away the weak but we know how to make you strong, which is to pull you in. Amen. Come with us. Yeah, we know you're hurting. Stop being hurt. Come closer. 
Pastor did an, had an incredible word last Monday night at Foundations. The last three kings. Do you know how many times? I've used that a million times this week, Pastor. I say it like it's mine, too. I'm like, this is what the word of God said. I heard it just like y'all did. The last three kings that were named in Joshua 10, their names were dealing with transparency. You know what we don't want to be as believers? We don't want to be transparent. We don't want people to see our weaknesses, our flaws, when we got to spank our kids. We don't want, to see, we don't want anybody to see any of that. Isolationism. You know what happens? You want to, I'm going to take my ball and I'm going to go home. Yeah, can I tell you that will produce death, that will produce death in your life? Yeah. That's not the way of life. We're actually saying, be transparent, don't be isolated. You know why? Because there's healing in the body of Christ. Amen. What was the third king? You've got to get to the Holy of Holies. The Lord gives us revelation from the heavens. He showers revelation upon us on almost any meeting that you get to. From the Word, from words of knowledge, from the gifts of the Spirit, whatever it is, the Lord is showering it on you. So how do you want to take it? Do you want to come on in? Do you want to lay aside your offense? Do you want to lay aside the difficulties and enter in and join our way of life? If you do, then you get the benefits of the way of life. Or you can come and Attend. It's not the way of life that the Lord has given. Because look at Asa. Let's turn to... Um, the Lord is with you when you're... The Lord is with us when we're with Him. Look at chapter 16, though. Take a look at verse 7. At that time, Hanani, the seer, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you relied on the king of Aram and not the Lord your God... In chapter 14, Asa crushes an entire army because the Lord is with him. And in chapter 15, the Lord reminds him and says, Hey, I'll be with you when you're with me. I, I got your back, but you got to do what I'm saying for you to do. By chapter 16, and these are years in between these, near the end of Asa's life, he goes and he takes the gold and the silver from the temple and from his own palace and gives it to a foreign king and says, uh, You going to help us out? Hey, man. <laughs> A chapter and a half ago, you were calling on God and he said, Lord, there's none like you to help the weak against the mighty. By chapter 16, he's going, look, I got it all worked out. You know what happened? Look, I've got enough in the coffers now. I can take care of this on my own. Don't you worry about it. Let's look down at verse 12. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa was afflicted. Everybody say afflicted. afflicted. With a disease in his feet. Ew. You mean your walk can get messed up if you don't keep crying out to the Lord? You mean the very way that you walk is diseased if you start relying on yourself and other things besides what the Lord has put before you, the way of life that He's entrusted to you? Though his disease was severe, even in his illness, he did not seek help from the Lord. Uh-oh. Hard-headed? Even in his illness, he did not seek help from the Lord, but only from the physicians. Then in the 41st year of his reign, Asa died and rested with his fathers. Wow. The way of life that we're talking about is because we want you to survive. We want you to thrive in the kingdom for kingdom purposes and that you will finish this well. That you will not get to a point in your life where your walk becomes crippled and you fall by the wayside. Because you just won't cry out to the Lord. Oh, by the way, you know what Asa means? His name? Healing, or another derivative, is physicians. 
what he was created to be and to do was to receive healing from the heavens. And instead, he trusted in the physicians. Come on, what are you trusting in today? What are you trusting in? What are you relying on? Are you relying on this, you figuring out the system? I mentioned on Wednesday, I'm good at figuring out systems. I mean, I am. I, I, I can do this. I can walk in somewhere and give me a little while and I start figuring out what's going on, who I need to talk to, the type of lingo that I need to, that I need to use. I'll learn somebody's language quickly. The, the way that they speak, I'll see what's important to them. I hear the, what they're saying. I can kind of work these things out. You know what this is not? This is not that. You've got to have a way of life. Everybody say way of life. I know that you know these words. I, I, this is not a new concept. But you know what's difficult for us sometimes? is not letting things stay in our mind, but letting it influence and impact our hearts. I'm speaking so much about this because I know you and I know me. And it's easier to do a system. Because you feel like you're in control. And when you're doing a way of life, it feels like you're out of control sometimes. Let me encourage you. Control is an illusion anyway. You think you're really in control of anything? It's, it's, it's an illusion. It is a complete illusion that you can cause anything to happen at any point other than what God is going to cause to happen. I'm going to go, yeah, you're not in control of nearly as much as you think. We have a couple of slides that I want to start to show you that will help direct us for our remaining time. Would you turn to Hebrews chapter 2? Hebrews chapter 2. <laughs> this is a way of life. You may hear me say this for weeks to come. And I'm not going to be ashamed of that at all. Because until we all get on the way of life, then there's room for me to preach about it. Until you get the way of life corrected in your life, where it's being revealed within you and you're seeing the fruit thereof, and you're, you're understanding it not because you learned a system, but because the Lord has changed your life, then I have room to preach about this. One of the main things, one of the things that I've come to love here about being at this church, because in case I hadn't told you in a while, man, I love my church. Goodness gracious. One of the things I've been most honored to be a part of while being here is the One Association. A collection of churches. A collection of works of the Lord so that no one will be orphaned. That you don't have to do this by yourself. You will have brothers and sisters around the globe that will stand for the exact same things that you do. That will stand in the same type of way of life that you have come to know and you can battle together across the world. Would you put up the first slide for me? Hebrews chapter 2. Let's start in verse 1. We must pay more careful attention. That's an interesting way to say that, isn't it? We're going to pay more careful attention. Therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. Everybody say, drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience um, received, it's just punishment. How shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard Him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, 
and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. Our first oath of a one association is this. Having tasted of the age to come, I will never fail to boldly advocate for the personal and corporate manifestations of His gifts. Let me tell you how I came to have a deep conviction about this. Since I was a child, I was raised in the house of God and I believed in the the gifts of the Spirit. Speaking in tongues, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit when I was seven years old. I was slain in the Spirit in a church service and filled when I was seven years old. I have practiced this my entire life. And you know what I didn't have until I got here? A deep conviction about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I could walk you through the Scriptures about it. I I could take you through Acts. I could take you through Corinthians. I loved it. I believed in it. But you know what I didn't do? I didn't have a deep conviction about it. When I got here, uh, for years before I got here, I'd hear hear our pastors saying things like, yeah, I just don't think we're going to... We're not the same kind of people. God bless them. They're doing what they feel like the Lord's calling them to do. But they do not advocate for the gifts of the Spirit. So we're just not going to have a long-term fellowship with them. We'll bless them. We'll encourage them. And we'll stay true to who we are. It's like, golly, Pastor. That's a, that's a little firm, isn't it? I mean, they're doing a good work, aren't they? And, and, he, and pastors would talk to me about it, but I didn't understand the deep conviction. I was trying to look at it from an intellectual perspective. I mean, you don't, we don't want to, you know, have not everyone able to join us, do we? So God put me in a, in, a, in a vocation, in a job in the last couple of years called CARES. And so I worked for a group of people who were doing their best to do what they could for the Lord. And they changed a policy and sent it out to us that said, hey, because we don't want to offend anyone, I'm giving you the short Sutherland translation, because we don't want to offend anyone, look, You can personally have your own Holy Spirit stuff, but don't do it when you're involved with cares. So it's good enough for me in my own home, but we don't want you to act, you know, we don't want you to start speaking in tongues anywhere. Um, Okay. Hey, boss. Hey, regional president person. Yeah, this is, uh, this is a terrible policy. I'd like to encourage you to change this policy. Uh, Wade, I don't have the authority. You're going to need to talk to the company president. Mr. President, I'd like to make time to speak with you. Sure, Wade. We spoke for an hour and a half, two hours on the phone. And what the Lord did through that was he went, oh, <laughs> he shifted it from a thought, from a perspective from an argument, from a, an, ideolo- an ideology to something that was deep conviction within me. Oh, Lord. Sometimes I'm kind of slow. I don't get everything as quickly as I should. And this was one of those things I actually felt like I was just slow in getting it. But it shifted from a thought to, oh, yeah, I'm not ever going to go somewhere and not advocate for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I'm not ever going to be associated with people on a long-term basis. I mean, I want to evan- we'll evangelize everybody. We'll go anywhere. We'll pray for anybody. But if you're going to talk about a long-term partnership, no one that I'm ever associated with from this day forward will not be fully committed to this just as much as I am. Amen. 
You know why? Because it's a deep conviction of this church. If you're still wrestling with those things here, if you're the kind that's going to enjoy the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but not want other people to really get it, if you're going to want us to do it in a home meeting, but not right here from the stage, if you're going to be one that says, maybe we just let them get in, let's, let's let people ease in. I mean, Pastor, there's these big funnels. I want to tell you about a big funnel. Right? And let people get in. And then they get, the deeper they get, the more you can talk to them about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So it's okay for you to have it, but you want to delay it for them? Oh, even worse than that, you want them to have the fruit of it because when you prophesy and you hit it spot on and they feel the, the Holy Ghost, they feel it because 1 Corinthians 14, 26 says that these things must happen in the church. Must. Everybody say must. Must. Because it must happen in the church. But we want to be the ones to kind of control this? You want to cage the Holy Spirit? What, what are we saying? Amen. My friends, this church is unashamed about our belief in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the gifts and the fruit of the Spirit. If you go to church and they only teach about the fruit of the Spirit, shame on you. Shame on you. This is what we believe, not because we learned it in a book, not because someone else told us about it, but because God has instilled it in your leaders and He pressed it down into our core. We're going to pray for you guys today at the end of this service. If you need a, to be re-baptized in the Holy Spirit, we're going to lay hands on you. You're going to get filled again. We're, we're also that crazy kind. We're not going to argue with you about, did you get the Holy Spirit when you got saved? or It's after. Why are we talking about once anyway? That's ridiculous. That's a stupid point. How about you just keep getting filled all the time? I need to. (laughs) It leaks out of who I am. And I'm like, ah, man, I thought I had that defeated. Man, I must need more of the Holy Spirit in me. Having been adopted into the Holy Family, I will not rest until every nation in the world is represented before His throne. Every nation, every language, every tribe, every tongue... Did you feel God's Spirit in here when we were singing about every nation, every tongue in here? Did you feel God's anointing on that as we sang? That every soul, that you're worth it all, Jesus, you are worth it all. What you did makes me want to get outward focused and not stay here and see what you can build. Do you know why your pastors live at a poverty line? You know why we choose to do that? Sorry, the secret's out. It wouldn't. It wouldn't. If we had the million dollars in the bank account, you know what we wouldn't do? We would not give ourselves a raise. We choose. Come on now. We choose to live at the poverty line so that we can go around the world. So that our church can go around the world. Pastor Eric, by the end of this year, is going to be out of the country. Not just away from this spot. Out of the country more than 102 days. What? That doesn't include any one association trips, going to other churches, doing anything else. 102 days. I want to stay here. I love staying here. I'm like, I'm the homebody. Let me stay here. Pastor, you go, I got it. I'm going to be out of the country by the end of the year, 40 days this year. Almost a month and a half. And I'm the one that wants to stay. You know why? Because we're compelled to go. We're compelled to have an outward focus that every tribe, that every language. Last year at this time, we were preparing to send a family to Indonesia to live there. Do you understand that not 12 months later, 
We're trying to send to two countries now. Minimum of two families. Maximum of four families. And that's not all that we're going to do. Do you understand that what we're doing here is we're trying to say, I gladly will drive a busted up donated car. You know why? Oh my God, why, how could I keep more money when there's so much work to do? Amen. I will not rest. I choose to live this way because it's the way of life that I see in the Scripture. Amen. I have talked with pastors. I've sat across coffee tables and dinner tables with pastors of thousands and thousands of people. And they, what they said to me, not, not secondhand, not thirdhand, what I had a conversation with people was, wow, I'm so glad that nowadays pastors don't have to take a vow of poverty to minister. I don't have to, but I want to. Amen. Thrift store. And it looks good. Dollar <laughs> twenty-five. Come on, man. I'm not trying to make us anything. I'm actually trying to continue to demonstrate a way of life to you. Choose, choose to do it this way. This is the right way. Let God bless you. Quit thinking that your life is somehow less than what it's supposed to be. That are, those are demonic thoughts. Those are selfish thoughts. And they will not lead you to the right way of life. They will only produce death in you. If you had a million dollar offering, that would fix it. It wouldn't fix jack. It would not fix anything in your life. Might make it, worse. Might make it much worse. I will not be bribed, intimidated, or seduced away from the daily implementation of the undeniable truths of Scripture. Let's read Hebrews chapter 3. I think I left you in Hebrews. Yeah. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. Yeah. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Wow, is that not what we're talking about today? But encourage one another daily. Amen. As long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. You know what happens when you don't do this kind of life daily? You get hardened in your heart. That's what happens. If you've ever not done this daily, you realize that you start not being able to hear from the Lord. And it is a slow drift, but a hardening nonetheless. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence that we had at first. This takes a daily. One of the things that I've learned by being in this church that has shifted my heart, that has shifted my life, is not finding a message and trying to cram a few scriptures beside it to verify what I just said, but going to the Word of God as the foundation. Do you understand our marriage teaching here? One, it has more scripture than any, any other marriage teaching that I've seen. Two, it was built on the scripture first, the Scripture was the foundation. It wasn't something that was superfluous to it. The Scripture was the foundation. It wasn't something just gratuitously added to make us feel better about our Christianity. It's the foundation of what we do. How many of you got your stones on you? Anybody got your stones close? The reason that I can look out and see stones in your hands, stones in your pocket, stones in your back, is because we're saying you've got to do this daily. So you can check it off a list. No. So that you can have the right way of life. We will not be bribed, intimidated, or seduced away from the daily implementation of the undeniable truths of Scripture. Let's go on to the next slide. Uh, by the way, this morning, 
we got together. Um, we, we were studying together as pastors. We were sh- I was sharing the idea of what I thought the Lord may want to bring to us today. And so I started listing deep convictions on the board that I've learned since being here, that the Lord is allowed to be not arguments in my mind, but convictions of my heart and my soul. And I wrote them on the board. And then I was like, Lord, how do we do this? It, I was trying to have a, a framework to help people grab what I'm trying to say today. And I was like, oh, one association. The O's and the irreducible minimums. Folks, this is so much a part of our way of life. Do you know what happened? The order that I had them listed on the board was the order of our oaths and our irreducible minimums. In order, I'm going to share with you what I wrote on the board at 6.15 this morning. And I'm going to show you how that these are things that we are saying is our way of life. I want and I'm asking for encouragement, correction, rebuking, and training in righteousness according to the Word of God from my friends and my peers. Those oaths say that we won't even be able to work together unless you agree with the three oaths. Holy Spirit, (laughs) all the time, being outward focused and mission focused so that every tribe, every tongue, every language, every nation is represented around the throne. And then having a daily implementation of the Word. If you don't start there, praise God, we're not even going to keep the conversation going. Now, once you've agreed to those three, this is how we're actually going to do this together. These are the things that allow us to work together now. Can we work together? Yes. Well, here's how we're going to do it. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. In verse 16. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching. Everybody say teaching. Teaching. Rebuking. Rebuking. Correcting. Correcting. And training in righteousness. So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You know what I put under this one? To me, this one, when I got here to this church, I learned what true pastoring is all about. I thought you were a pastor before. Yep. I've known a lot of pastors. I've fellowshiped with a lot of pastors before. I've talked to them. I've visited with them. I've, I've hosted them when they're coming in from a visiting place. You know what I learned when I got here that is becoming a deep conviction within me, that has become a deep conviction, is that true pastoring looks like this. Amen. The Word of God encourages, it corrects, it rebukes, and it trains us. You know what my job as a pastor is? To encourage, to correct, to rebuke, and to train in righteousness. When when you think about Ezekiel 34, that's become a passage that is incredibly important to me. Starts talking about the shepherds. God was rebuking the shepherds of Israel. You're You're not strengthening the weak. You're not healing the sick or binding up the broken or searching for the lost or bringing back the strays. The Lord Himself says He's going to do these five things. And when it became more than just a scripture passage to me and got down in my soul as a deep conviction, I went, oh, Lord, you're going to judge me on five things. Do I strengthen the weak? Do I heal the sick? Do I bind up those that are broken? Do I go after the lost and do I bring back the strays? That's all that you're going to judge me on. Not how well I can speak. Not how dapper my appearance is. Not how eloquent I am, but how well I can take care of your people. When that hit me, I wept. 
Lord, this is all that I want to do in your kingdom, Lord. I want to please you by doing this. True pastoring means that we get in your life. We're not trying to control you. Everybody say, Pastor. Pastor. We know you're not trying to control us. We have a mandate before the Heavenly Father to strengthen the weak, to heal the sick, to bind up the injured, to go after the lost and bring back the strays. This is all that we're trying to accomplish. We're trying to equip you for your works of service. And that means that we have to get in there and encourage and rebuke and correct and train. Anybody ever been rebuked here? Anybody ever been encouraged here? Trained in righteousness, anybody? Come on. I have a small clip for you that I'd like to show you. This is from what many would consider uh, America's preacher. People may like the guy in town, would want all his wealth and his influence, but I don't know anybody that really wants to speak like him. People want to speak like this guy. And I want you to listen because true pastoring is a deep core conviction here. It's our way of life, and I want you to listen to this. Uh, control people. When I had a small church, I could follow every member home, see who they were. You got 30,000 people. You can't get in everybody's business. You got to preach the word and mind your own business and let the word do the work. If the, if the preacher stops being the police and just preach the word and let the word do the work. The Bible says some's going to fall on good ground, some's going to fall on stony ground, some's going to fall on my thistles and thorns. That ain't my business. I'm supposed to throw it out there. Just throw it out there. Just throw it out there. And let, let it fall where it falls. And let the chips fall. Steve Harvey is the one doing the interview for TBN with T.D. Jakes, by the way. If you're here and you don't get what I just said, what you just saw, if you're like, wow, he's... That was eloquently put. I mean, you've got to let the Word do what the Word does, right? Do you understand what he just said? When my church was small, I could be a pastor. I'd follow my people home, make sure their broken cars could get there. I'd leave food for them on the doorstep because I knew they didn't have it. I'd bring formula to the little babies to make sure that they could eat. What he said here was, man, look, when you get to have a church of 30,000 people, you can't be policing people. You can't be pastoring people. I mean, you, how could you expect me to know anybody in my church? I'm just going to throw the word out there. I'm going to throw it out there. That sounds so good, doesn't it? Let the word of God do what it's going to do. Let it do what it's going to do. Amen. Did you hear the people in the background? Hooping and hollering. That's right, pastor. We don't need you. We don't want you all up in our business. Go ahead, throw that word out there. You know what? Because I got a thorny heart. And it ain't going to produce real fruit in my life anyway. But you won't know the difference. I got a stony heart, and I don't have anybody to help me get the stones out. You just keep right on preaching, Pastor. My heart was broken when I heard this. It caught me. I... It set me in a place of turmoil for a few minutes just thinking about that. My God, 
He is so eloquent. He is so gifted. He's the best preacher I've heard. I'll give it to him. He wins, hands down. He's not being a pastor. What are you going to be? What are you being then? You're being a man that's on a stage using your gifting from the Lord to make a living? My God. Come on now, Pastor. We love T.D. Jakes. We love him. My heart is broken for him. He is losing the way of life that God gave him. When positions start shifting on homosexuality because you're spending too much time in the world. When you no longer want a pastor, you just want to throw the seed out there. The problem is, is your heart is the soil that he's throwing it into. He's saying, I don't care about cultivating your heart. I don't care about strengthening the weak or healing the sick or binding up the injured or going after the lost or bringing them back to straits because I can speak. I am gifted. God help us if we want to do that. May God have mercy on him. He's going to keep somebody like Steve Harvey from getting saved when he should be causing him to get saved. You have a church that has people who want to give our lives for you. True pastoring. Make this a delight for us. Yield to what we're doing. We're not trying to hurt any of you. If we rebuke you, it's for your good. If we correct you, it's because you need it. You think it's our joy to just find fault with people? We get worn out at the end of the day. We're like, oh my gosh, I can't even see straight. <sighs> Stumbling around. We're like, oh. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Feels like we're preaching in dog years here, man. We're like, how long you been here? That was uh, seven years? No, that was last year, Pastor. Oh, thank you, Jesus. And we'll do it every day for the rest of our lives. As long as He graces us with strength to do it, we will continue to do it and do it with a smile because we want you to have the way of life that we've been given. Amen. In every way. We're going to replicate better than us. You'll be better than us. But you don't do that from throwing out seed on a stage. Next one. The sun will not set on unbiblical behavior. This sets our time frame. Regardless of feeling or situation, I will take biblical action upon notice. The word that I wrote on the board this morning was intensity. Why y'all got to be so intense as a church? Why is everything so serious? Why can't y'all be... If the Bible says that we're not even supposed to let the sun go down when we're angry, anybody ever let the sun go down when you're angry? Why are we okay with that? Because, Pastor, everybody gets angry. The Word of God establishes what we're supposed to do. Hey, this isn't right. We got we to gotta fix this. Bosh, man, I, I didn't do this right. I got to come to you. I, we got to fix this now. We cannot let it go. Look, Pastor, it'll be okay in a couple of days. Nope. You know what happens to most of us when we wait a couple of days? You don't ever fix it. You just bury it. You allow yourself to drift away from the way that God has for you, the way of life, the standard, and you become okay with hearing righteous standards and not living it and thinking that's completely okay. Wow. We become okay with duplicity in our own lives. Not, not, we're not talking about the world. We're talking about you and me. 
We're not going to diffuse this responsibility to someone else and talk about someone else's problems. What about you and me? When we know what the Word of God is and we're just like, yeah, I'm okay with not following it. The Lord cares about these things. Deuteronomy 22 is such a simple verse. It's one of those things that popped. I saw it and it's somehow taken a special place in my mind and my heart. Deuteronomy 22, 6, please. It says this. If you come across a bird's nest beside the road, either in a tree or on the ground, and the mother is sitting on the young or on the eggs, do not take the mother with the young. Next verse. You may take the young, but be sure to let the mother go so that it may go well with you and you may live a long life. If God cares how we treat a bird that's on the side of the road, eggs, no eggs, babies, no babies, you can look at the law and think that he's, that he's given all these restrictions. I see God telling us how to live. It's a, it's a covenant of love. It's a covenant of love that he gives to us to say, it matters to me. The small things matter to me. Quit ignoring those small things. The little things that God gives you to do. He cares about it. So that it may go well with you and you may live a long life. It's just a bird. Apparently to God it's more than just a bird. It shows what your heart is in that situation. How you deal with the little things in your life show your attitude towards God. Why do you have to be so intense? Because it matters. Because it actually matters to what's going on, how I treat you, how I treat kids, how I treat the people around me, what I do with my time, where I go. It matters to God. It's almost as if he's trying to prescribe a way of life for us. How dare we think that we can just do this any way we like and he'll just like us. I'll just figure it out on my own. No, I got it. Would any of you ever written a scripture in the Holy Writ that talked about a bird? I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have thought to add, you can take the kids, but not the mama. Don't. Really? This is the Holy Scripture. Oh, it matters to him. It matters to us as a church. It matters to us the little things. Pastor, you guys will jump on us for the smallest things. Yep. Because we love you. Because it matters to him. To you, it may feel arbitrary because you're still in a system kind of mentality. I don't understand. Yeah, because we're, we're showing you a way of life. Let this work in you. You could have been here for 10 years and still not gotten the way of life of this place yet. It's not a matter of timing. It's a matter of whether you're engaging with this or not. We'll go back to the slides now. <clears throat> Next one. I have proven to my brothers, and my brothers have proven to me that we have each other's best interests in mind and we will place our brother's needs above our own. I will sacrifice. Everybody say, I will sacrififice. sacrifice. My thoughts, emotions, and opinions to implement the Word's instruction for our good. The next thing I wrote on the board is our attitude of sacrifice. I was like, Lord, this is incredible. Why do we sacrifice? Why do we want to send our best? When we sent the Hutchinsons, those were the best that we had. And we send them. And you know what we're going to do now? We're going to send the best that we have. <laughs> and we're going to grow up the best that we have. Because what the Lord is doing is each successive year, each successive generation of disciples, we keep sending the very best that we have. And you know what happens? God keeps sending us His very best. Amen. 
The discipleship process in this church is getting better and better and better. You know why? Because there's more and more and more who have bought into the way of life and now it's not caught up in a single person. It's not caught up in a single team of people. It is becoming the way of life of our church and you're seeing the fruit of it. You're seeing people in a year, a year and a half, go from uh, abject ungodliness to being pillars in the house of God. Come on, man. This sacrificing attitude. Can I encourage you guys? I'm a, well, whether you want it or not, this is what I'm going to do. Um, I remember coming up early in church. And I learned sacrifice from those who went before me. When we were all in church together, we would, we would be elbowing each other. We would, we would sneak attack to make sure that, that Pastor Eric didn't have to pay for a meal. We, we, would make sh- we, would, we would fight for each other. We'd be like, oh, I've got to go to the bathroom. I don't know what happened to the bill. Oh, you dirty dog! We were practicing sacrificing for each other. We were practicing giving of ourselves. If we had a million-dollar baby, if we had a million-dollar gift, you know what we wouldn't stop doing? We wouldn't stop having you serve in the children's ministry. We wouldn't buy smoke and lights and new instruments for everybody. <laughs> Lasers. <laughs> and when you have the lasers, you got to have the professional musicians to go with the lasers. Leather pants. No, I mean, what, 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 where does it end? Where does it end? If we had a million dollars in our hands right now, you would see the worship just the way it is. You would see our kids' ministry. We wouldn't hire random people. Experts to come and take care of our own kids because you're parents and you should take care of your own kids. That's an active service to the church. You know what we wouldn't do? We wouldn't hire a cleaning crew. We would keep you serving and cleaning. You know why? Because it's good for you. It is right to serve. It is right to sacrifice. It is right to give of yourselves. Am I doing this because I want money? No. That's why we don't pass an offering plate here. Our way of life says, uh, it's over there in the corner. If you want to do right by God, you'll, you'll, you'll figure out how to give. Because we forget to announce it nine out of ten services. Some people are like, oh, you know, I've been here for a while. I'd like to give. I'm like, oh, yeah. guess we need to tell you how to do that. We're not after your money. We want you to live a life of sacrifice. Amen. Because it's right. Because the Lord himself honors it as a way of life. Let's go to the next one. A promise made to the group is a vow. Everybody say vow. Vow. Come on. A pledge before my God and therefore it is not optional and cannot be renegotiated or annulled. My word is my bond and can be trusted. It is as if it is in writing. Numbers 30 teaches us this very, very well. When you sign up for prayer in this church, you're making a vow. You will not, and you're not allowed to break your vow. If we all just actually did what we said we were going to do, you know what it starts doing in you? When you don't allow yourself any wiggle room, if you said you were going to help, you go help. If you, if you said that you're going to do something, you go do it. You know what it does? It makes you watch what you say. It makes you count the weight of your words. And it makes you like Christ because He did everything He said He was going to do. Amen. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. I'm about to wrap up. Stay with me.
1 Timothy 6 and verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. How's your contentment? How's your godliness? <laughs> Let's start there. How's your godliness? Now, how's your contentment? Are you somehow left out of God's plan? How many of you are living in the nicest house that you've ever lived in? Um, How many of you have more than one vehicle? Um, How many of you are in the best church you've ever been in? Okay, just just checking. That was gratuitous. It's all right. It's, it's true for me. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Grass is not greener on the other side. It's just your perception of it. God is not somehow being unfair to you no matter what situation you're in. He has not become something other than His character and His way of life that He shows us. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out. Verse 8. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Okay, so according to Scripture, let's define what rich is. Rich is having anything more than food and clothing. Come on, rich young ruler. Oh, it's that other guy over there. I mean, it's the people who make millions or tens of millions. How about it's anyone who has more than food and clothing? Uh, there's, when you go through education courses, they teach you Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You can't get to higher needs before you get to the basics covered. If somebody is hungry, they're not going to listen to you teach. So they have food, clothing, and shelter at the basic level. Apparently Maslow didn't talk to the Lord about this. Apparently he wasn't a believer because he added even to the basics of what this says. If you have food and clothing, thrift store and all. We will be content with that. Would you be content with that? We have enough to have seasonal wardrobes. We don't have enough room in our closets for the clothing that we have. How are we not the rich people that the Bible is talking about? How are we not the ones that he is exactly talking to to say that godliness with contentment is great gain? We can take nothing in. We brought nothing in the world. We can take nothing out. Quit thinking about the word of God as somewhere else for someone else at another time. This is you. This is me. Food and clothing, that's it. If you got a car, you're rich. If you got a house, filthy rich. Come on now. We are a blessed, blessed people. Let's make it our honor to sacrifice to the Lord. Quit counting what you don't have. Godliness with contentment is great gain means you think about what you have and you glorify God all the time. Amen. I love, I love my pastor. I love the pastors here. I love the team that I get to work with. I love you guys. I think about y'all all the time. And I'm thankful. I'm like, oh, this is the biggest joy of my life. Not because it was some plan. It's because it's God's way of life and I get to enjoy. I enjoy every minute of it. 
Last one of our vows, I mean, uh, um, of our irreducible minimums on the slide. Righteousness is all that matters. Therefore, when training in righteousness is needed, it is good, spiritual, and restorative. I have surrendered my life, my responsibilities and ambitions to the Lord and to this group. When it is deemed necessary to step down from an activity or position for a specified time period, I will accept my training in righteousness for restoration. You can obviously see what this is pointing towards. What I saw in this and the last thing that I wrote on the board was a masculine holiness. Amen. You, guys are, you guys are real masculine at this church. What's up? Everybody's got a beard. Like, why does everybody have a beard? That's a little weird. Well, not everybody. <laughs> why, why are y'all... It's, it's like Duck Dynasty that came and, and landed here. It's actually been said, by the way. It's actually been said. Why is there masculine holiness? Ladies... We don't want you to be less than what God has called you to be. We want you to be the anointed, beautiful, talented, yes. gifted women yes. that God has made you. Amen. We just expect your husbands to run faster than you Amen. and lead you. Get off the lazy boy. <laughs> Get off the lazy boy. Because we see the pattern in God's word that says, men, you have to lead. And if your wife is incredible, that means you have to lead more. Yes. We're not trying to handicap the women here and go, it's only about the boys. But that's what it feels like. Well, then you just need to grow up. Amen. We're actually helping you. Yes. Little, little, little secret. This is not just life-changing ministries. Sometimes it's known as wife-changing ministries. Amen. Like as in wife-developing ministries. Yes. Not like we're switching. Okay, but <laughs> why? What happens? Men, if we can get you to lead rightly then you're in the right flow of shalom before the Lord and your whole house flourishes. That's right. Chauvinistic. It's biblical. That's another thing working for you. <laughs> exactly. When we see women whose fears are overtaking them, when we see women who are trying to lead their husbands, if you're here and you subscribe to this way of life, I promise you it's better to have your husband leading and the weight and the turmoil falling on his shoulders because he was built for it, and you can flourish with all that God has given you. It is a better way because it is the way of Christ. From Genesis through Revelation, this is the right way. You cannot like it because of our modern society. Well, then you're not going to be a part of our way of life, and we love you, but you probably won't stick around that long. Yeah. Or you'll resist the entire time. We want men to stand up and actually be men. Actually be strong enough to direct their homes, to lead their wives, to love their kids. We want the men to be men. And we're not ashamed of it. You're not going to get us to be passive in our homes. We're the kind of men who fight against passivity because we see the righteous standard of God's Word. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 28. I'm sorry, 1 Chronicles chapter 28. <sighs> I've got to forgive me. First Chronicles chapter 28. Let's look at 9. Verse 9. And you, my son, Solomon, acknowledge the God of your fathers and serve Him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every motive behind your thoughts. Man, 
We can spend a whole sermon on that. If you seek Him, He will be found by you. But if you forsake Him, He will reject you forever. It's almost like it's the same thing He told Asa. Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a temple as a sanctuary. Be strong and do the work. Yeah, do the work, man. Be strong. Do the work. Look at verse 20. Same passage. David also said to Solomon, his son, be strong and courageous and do the work. This is what we're called to do. This is the way of life. For men to actually be men and lead their wives well and leave their kids rightly. This is the way that God has for us and we love it. The reason that phrases like rock kazakamats, only be strong and courageous, is part of what we say a lot around here. We have songs that are written that include rock kazak. You know why? Because it's our deep conviction. Yes. You can no more remove that from us than you can a limb off of our body. This is who we are. This is the way of life. And if you're here, we want you to enjoy and be a part of this way of life. If you had the million dollar question, if you had the million dollar challenge, how much of your life would change? Or are you living with such deep conviction that nothing would change? Would you have to change the DC attitude, the DCD attitude, to a I do care a damn? Do, do you actually care? Do you actually care about how this works out or not willing to sacrifice? As we get ready to pray together, we're going to worship, we're going to end the service, we're going to pray together. Are you here and participating without deep convictions? You enjoy our fellowship, and you really enjoy the cigars at the house. That's so cool. Such a cool thing that you guys do. That's the lady speaking right there. We love the smell of it, it's great. Are you participating without developing the deep convictions that we have? Are you giving us your presence here, but you've not been fully convinced about the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the gifts of God working in your life? Are you here biding your time, lacking contentment, and waiting for the next season to get here? If you are, then you've missed the way of life that God has given you as a gift. Would you stand with me?